A mother in Yuma, Arizona is desperately seeking answers nearly a decade after her 19-year-old daughter went missing. I'm just begging and waiting for somebody to please help us, help us find her. We used to own Black Rose. So he had construction below his trailer. He had like a hole there. I was like, dude, that guy? No way. I knew he was weird, especially with young ladies, but I didn't know he was, you know. But that's the thing. You never know with anybody. I'm Elle Marquis, and this is Rural Gothic, a podcast about small towns with big crimes. This is season one, and I'm trying to figure out once and for all what happened to Emily Heber. Someone I spoke to said they heard a rumor that a person named killed her and buried her in his trailer. From what I know, from my stories, that I've heard, you're on the right track. And, 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 and I, I couldn't, I, I don't know anything more. I've heard that rumor. I, I've heard that rumor, and, but it never came out of my mouth. I've been in a house, and yeah, there was construction there. You know, there was a fucking man. You know, that guy. You know, I ain't got nothing nice to say about that guy. Here's the thing. Back in the day, he told me that he killed this guy named Scott Wilkinson and and buried him out in the desert, right? And and, I, and Scott was a friend of mine, and no one ever knew it. It was before the internet. This is back in the nineties, like ninety four, maybe ninety five. You know, he tries to seem hard, like yeah, you ripped me off. I'll fucking take out the desert and kill you or something. But but he didn't, you know. I I reconnected with Scott Wilkinson on Facebook, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he came to visit me, and I told him, "Wow, man, I've never visited with a ghost before," you know, and you know, and told him the deal, and then I told, him, "Hey, man, Scott Wilkinson says hi, bro," you know. So it could so, have been uh, something that he told people when it happened, and maybe yeah, lied so about it. So he could it. be fucking badass. So he could, yeah, exactly. So so he could be a badass. You know, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, there's that, you know, that, that, uh, what do they call it, uh, fraudulent valor or whatever it is, um, mistaken valor or, you know, that they do with the soldiers. What he's doing now was trying to be a monster. He's trying to take credit for stuff that, that he didn't do. Well, my tater tots are getting cold. <laughs> so. Go eat your tater tots. So I'm going to go, I'm going <laughs> to go with my tater tots. But let me tell you, um, I've really enjoyed talking to you and, um, I'm so glad you're doing good, man. You know, I, I put it all on that that you got out of Yuma. I know, I know. Well, we can get into all of that next time, but thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Go to your tater tots. I'm going to go eat my tater tots. Have a good night. I'll talk at you soon. You too. Okay, that's a wild story, but it really makes me doubt this rumor about Chad. If he's known to claim stolen valor, as Adam mentioned, That means he could have just made this whole thing up when Emily vanished, and that's how the rumor spread. There's actually a ton of rumors about what happened to Emily, so let's just take a step back and let me walk you through the facts of her disappearance. On February 2nd, 2013, Emily made her last post to Facebook. She wrote, So yesterday, I found out that my soon-to-be ex-fiancé, Carlos, is getting out of jail in two weeks, the day before our one-year anniversary. After that post about Carlos, that was it. 
That was the last digital trail that exists of Emily and her last confirmed contact. Then her phone was disconnected a few days later. There's a rumor that was reported in some news outlets that someone claiming to be Emily crossed the Mexico-U.S. border without ID that following March, but that was never confirmed. On March 22nd, an official investigation into Emily Heber's disappearance was finally opened. I feel I should mention that March 22nd happens to be my birthday, a strange coincidence I didn't realize until way later when I finally saw the date in her police report, because it's often misreported as the 23rd of March. The trouble with getting interested in a mystery is that you'll start to notice strange coincidences everywhere, and everything seems connected and important. There have been many moments where I feel some kind of divine pull to the story, but my goal is to remain neutral and stick to the facts. That's why I need your help as web sleuths to keep me on track. There's a Patreon you can subscribe to for $5 that has some of our full interviews, important dates, maps, and a discussion board. I'm also in contact with the Yuma Police Department, so any important findings are immediately reported. You can find the link to that in our show notes. As I mentioned, I have Emily's over 500-page police report, which will be available in its entirety on our Patreon. I contacted the Yuma Police Department and was lucky enough to get a sit-down interview with Sergeant Detective Lori Franklin. Lori handles the public relations for the police department. She genuinely loves her job, her community, and doesn't seem to judge or make assumptions based on a person's circumstances. She is so passionate about her work that I found my old wounds and fear of law enforcement fading as we spoke. One of the things with Emily is because of her drug use. So that also leads into, okay, is she in danger because of this? Is there something with her drug use that maybe she's overdosed somewhere? So it does bring other things into play. So we did. Our detectives back then who got the case did look into it, interviewing friends, interviewing anybody who might know anything. But then you get into the other side of it. When you have people who are dealing illegal drugs and doing stuff like that, they're not the most forthcoming people. They're not going to come forward with a lot of things. So we have two battles now. One is the fact that she is an adult, but she does do illegal drugs. And the people who last saw her are probably the ones who are doing the same thing and don't want to talk to us. So you're kind of up against a wall, but again, Any tip that comes in or anything that, you know, while I heard she was over here. So back in uh, 2013, cameras, the ring cameras and all these things weren't as prevalent around town. So maybe businesses had them. And I don't know if you've seen like the old Circle K cameras. It's like blip, blip, blip and all Mm -hmm. kind of fuzzy and and stuff. Mm -hmm. And nowadays cameras are better and everybody's got like a ring type camera or some sort of camera in the house. So... Again, back in 2013, there wasn't a lot of cameras to to look at. So you go on the tips that come in. We put out the bolos, be on the lookout for. So if anybody stops somebody and, you know, we came across her, okay, hey. So all that stuff was put out um, trying to find her. So those were the challenges in the beginning. Correct. Her lifestyle, so many people within her lifestyle weren't open to talking to the police. Correct. Okay. What were some of the challenges as the case grew colder? Um, again, it just it goes back to, to the lifestyle, but the thing that no social media, no cell phone, I mean, everything just basically cut off. And when you're looking at a person who was always in contact with her family and always on social media, 
I mean, that does kind of hit that. But you're also talking about where we're at. We're very close to the Mexico border where somebody can go across the border and hide, get lost, or, or be taken, depending on what the situation is. So that was a challenge also. But you're hearing something second or third hand. Well, hypothetically, you know, the sister heard it from this friend who heard it from their cousin that she's over here. So it's not firsthand from the person who saw, we're getting it dribble by dribble and the, with the telephone game where the story changes. But again, every lead that came in, we would go and check on. I think she's buried under this house. And we would go over there and, and look around and try to, we interviewed so many different people um, from so many different areas. And then there were so many different sightings of her. Well, she was over here and she was over there. There was also another sighting of like down by Mexico and the detectives actually found somebody that did look very similar to her, but it wasn't her. Medians, lots of medians came forward and we did even entertain that and followed their lead to where they believed that she was. Yeah. And, and it's hard and you feel bad for the family because they are holding on to that hope and you want to hold on to the hope with them. So even to this day, any new things that come in, um, one of the detectives will go out and still look into it, trying to, to find it. Because, I mean, you look at some, oh, the smart girl. I mean, you think that the chance is slim, but yet there's still a chance. So you just, you just don't know. And even if she's not alive, it's still important to find out. For, for the family, family. absolutely. Yeah. Every, every family needs to have some sort of closure. And I, I can't imagine being in that position where you're just constantly, I don't know, I don't know. And, you know, sometimes people make lifestyle choices that it leads to sometimes bad things, but it doesn't make that person a bad person. And that's, and that's the hard part about it is, you know, People go through rough times, and you shouldn't you shouldn't put their whole life about this moment in their time. Um, people can come back from things. People can change. Uh, so her life should not be centered on this is what happened at this time in her life. She has a family. She has a loving family. Um, so we are going to, again, look at every lead that comes through for any reason or anything and still try to help. It, and it kind of goes back and forth. I mean, yes, you made the choice to do this because one of the things was she had stolen from family members money and stuff, but it, it is, it's an evil dragon out here. So again, the moment right now does not define who the person was or could have been. But again, we're not in that position to say, well, this was her backstory, so we're not gonna look. We, we look into everything. And, incredible. And it's just hard, the little things that keep coming forward and keep coming forward. And of course, as the case goes colder, the tips get less and less and less. So sometimes bringing the attention back out will bring other things or kind of like we discussed a little bit, okay, time has gone by, maybe what I felt threatened or scared of, I'm not threatened or scared of anymore, so let me come forward. Exactly, I mean, maybe someone is in prison now, maybe someone's dead, and someone who knows something isn't right. quite as afraid, or maybe someone just is tired of living with guilt for a right. decade. Right, right. You don't know. We can hope, we, we can, can hope. We can hope, yeah. 
I guess I, I just want to go back to the early sightings of her. I couldn't find the source, but someone reported on a podcast that she was sighted crossing the Mexico-Arizona border. Or not her, but someone tried to use, someone claiming to be her without an ID. Is that in the questions? Some sources in late March of 2013, they looked into stuff like that, but we couldn't confirm it. We had nothing solid to confirm that that happened. And that was a problem with a lot of sightings is we would go look, we try to check, is there video here? Is there video over there? Because, you know, by the border there is also video. But how do you confirm that that person is that? So to bring validity to this tip and this tip is what we're having a hard time with. Like I said, there was one time where they said, oh, this is Emily, and we actually made contact with somebody who was very similar, but it wasn't. We do get sent a lot of, gosh, I think it was a couple years ago, via Facebook Instant Messenger, somebody was sending pictures of this person that they swore was, was Emily. I saw that. And again, it was something that was looked into, and, and it wasn't her. But again, we will take the time to look into everything that comes in. Right. I think the last question is, during this process, doing the show, we keep getting tips about this particular person. We've had some conversations with him. Can you comment on that? We've made contact with multiple people, multiple what we call investigative leads. We've investigated, we've talked to, we may have searched property, but because it is still an ongoing investigation, we're not going to get into whether they still are or still aren't on the list. But we do, again. We've had certain people that have come up as investigative leads and we continue to watch or continue to keep an open ear for anything more to come up. But you need that solid evidence. Right. So, again, if we can come up with something we can validate to get us closer to that, but otherwise we're not going to discuss who or what we have or have not cleared because it is still an open investigation. Right, right. If there's just anything else you want to share, this is the time to do it. Anything about the investigation or Emily or thoughts on the case? Yeah, and not so much about the investigation itself, but again, to plead to the public. Somebody knows something, and if you know something, you don't have to come forward with your name. We have 78 crime that you can call as an anonymous tip line. Give us something you know, give us an area to go to, give us a direction or somebody to talk to if you don't want to talk, but you can do it anonymously. And somebody who knows something has to come forward. And that's all we're waiting for is, is, is somebody to help. There's a family out there who needs closure and, you know, everybody deserves it. With no leads or persons of interest, in 2015, Emily's disappearance was moved to the cold case department. Unwilling to give up so easily, Emily's mom, Jenny Jimenez, hired private investigator Dave McDowell to continue the search for answers. Dave is a broad man with a no BS attitude. I wanted to speak to Dave to see if we can glean any more insights into Emily's disappearance. The first thing I asked Dave was if he knew anything about the man John was telling us about. I believe the police did talk to fairly early on in there. That rings a bell. The time frame that we know that Emily stopped having contact with her family. I know that Carlos was in the Yuma County Jail, and he went from the Yuma County Jail to a halfway house through adult probation in Yuma County, and he was there through about the middle of May 
2013. Oh, okay. So that's pretty so, pretty far after, I see. Yeah. So that's now, I say that, that doesn't mean that he couldn't be involved. It just means that in the time frame we're looking at, within the boundaries of when we think Emily stopped having contact, he can be accounted for. There was a number of people in the Bard, Winterhaven, Kuchan Reservation area that I have spoken to and talked to. The problem, and you may have heard me say this before, if you did, I'll say it now. Okay. The problem with trying to pin down things with Emily is that she was all over the place. She had people that she dealt with and connected with in both San Luis, Arizona, San Luis, Mexico, and Algodonas, possibly El Centro, California, Winter, California, Welton, Yuma, Summerton. But the thing that complicates this is that Emily, on a weekly basis, might stay at between two to five different places in a week. The whole time I've been trying to kind of pin down any kind of a pattern or to see who would be the highest probability of good information. It's been difficult, and I've been able to talk to a number of people, but a lot of times it was just, yes, yeah, she was here because she needed a place to sleep, she stole from me, or she was causing problems. One of the things that I can help you with or give you is that, uh, like Carlos Chavez, he had a sister, a girlfriend, and an ex-wife, and the girlfriend and the ex-wife were both hated Emily because there were rumors that, you know, that he got her pregnant and that she was, you know, trying to break up the marriage. And his uh, ex-wife, his ex-wife is in Mexico trying to avoid probation violation charges here in Yuma. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate your help. You're welcome. You guys take care and be safe, all right? Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Dave brought up some new figures that are definitely worth looking into further. But I just got a DM from an old friend who told me to look at a guy who we'll call Andy for now in regards to Emily's disappearance. She said he posted some strange things on Facebook at the time that she vanished. He since took down the post, but she took screenshots at the time and saved them for 10 years in case someday they became relevant. She gave me those screenshots, and they're interesting to say the least. Here's a summary of what those posts say. The first one says, They had me get committed to the nut house for a court order because someone had told them that I cheated high school and now they're trying to set me up for the murder of Emily Heber. And now the whole city of Yuma hates me because they seem to think I'm some big-time drug dealer. I don't see how I could have cheated high school when I asked for my diploma. And the second one says, Then why else would the detective Carlos Rodriguez from City of Yuma Police Department question me and keep asking me where the body at? And they want me to admit it out loud, and they want me to leave town, and everywhere I go, they keep following me. My conversation with Andy in next week's episode. If this was just an open and closed case, it wouldn't matter if you engaged with this show, but Emily is still missing and her family needs answers. A real way you can help right now is by subscribing to Rural Gothic and by rating, reviewing, and sharing it with everyone you know. I want to thank Jenny Jimenez for trusting me with Emily's story and to all of Emily's friends and family for their participation. A special thanks to Zach Schwartz for editing, Manish Matahar and Izzy Fontaine for the original score, to Jam Cole for production assistance, and Joshua Anzano for audio production assistance. 
At the top of every episode, you can hear my uncle Dave Marquis reading the news report, and sources for this episode can be found in the notes. I'll see y'all next time on Rural Gothic. <laughs>